welcome to How I Got Hired. This is a show about ordinary people like you and me and how they created extraordinary success in their career. So every single Monday, what we do is we uncover how they got hired in those career-defining roles, whether it's by companies, whether it's by their very first paid clients, and we are all about fully practical strategies and tactics. No time for fluff, my friends. So if that is what you're about, you are in the right place. Welcome. My name is Sonal Bell, Top 25 Career Coach, and here I am every single week to help you to supercharge your believability, networkability, marketability, and hireability so you have a career and life that you are proud of. Now, go in and listen with an open heart and an open mind and believe, really believe, if they could do it, you can do it too. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome to episode 87 of How I Got Hired. Now, listen, the great resignation is real, my friend. It's happening every single day. But there's a lot that you need to know before you do something you regret. Like, you've got to know the basics of employment law. You can't be ignorant about this sort of stuff. You know, it, it can save you a lot of headache the more knowledge you have. And even though I think employment law seems a little bit technical and boring and you think it's not your problem, trust me, if you're going through any of the following, bullying, harassment, discrimination, termination, resignation, unfair dismissal, weird non-compete clauses. What about COVID and returning to the workplace and health and safety? Oh my gosh, not to forget mental health. Then you are in the right place, my friend, because today I am speaking with my dear friend, Kolarelli Shunaike, who's a barrister, one of the top barristers based in London. And I have taken a live episode I did with him at the end of 2021. And even though it's been a few months since that happened, there is so much in this episode that I think is very relevant to the world we live in today. Now, if you have any such questions and complaints and you don't know who to talk to, I think this episode is really going to help you. So without further ado, let's get started. Kola, I want to start off uh, firstly, I want to start off by telling the audience, listen, obviously, you know, Kala is a professional. He knows what he's talking about. But at the end of the day, your situation is very specific. So if you have a need for super duper personalized assistance, obviously, listen to us. We're going to do our best. But, you know, half an hour, one hour is not enough. Right. If you need to get that advice, I want to give this legal disclaimer. My lawyer is present <laughs> that don't take this as faith at face value. Obviously, apply your own discretion and our topic today is we're going to focus on universal things Kala because there are so many terms you're going to say which will be alien to me which will be Greek to me right but at the end of the day see what it is in your own country what it sounds like you might have to change the language you know might be a little bit different but it doesn't matter so Kala I want to start off with um, COVID okay um, you had all these companies last year saying yes employees first I'm gonna be super sarcastic here because I have seen people in tears yeah yeah everything for our employees yeah 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 they're so important and then when the time comes like now there's a 180 degree shift and they're like you better come back to the office or I'm gonna 
reduce your salary or I'm going to fire you. Like horrible crap is happening right now. Now, obviously, everything is different in every country. But there's some things that people can do. There's some things they can't because to some extent, the control is with the employer. Walk us through this one because this is so relevant in today's time. Yeah, and thanks for giving the disclaimer, by the way, because I was going to have to do that if you hadn't done that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so, I mean, COVID has really shaken things up uh, in the workspace um, because on the one hand, especially before, everybody really thought that the office, you had to be in the office, you couldn't be that productive at home. And then when the necessity kind of kicked in and companies realized that, hey, we better get them doing stuff at home, otherwise we're going to have nothing going on. Then they worked out that they've got to facilitate it. And now employees in particular have realized that the benefit of having that flexibility is huge. Yeah. Uh, But employers are still a little bit stuck in the old way of, no, no, you've got to be back in the office. So it's a problem that's happening all over the world in a lot of different companies. Different places are approaching it differently. Now, in terms of where I think all of this will land is, I think that what's going to be seen is that the office is now a hub where people can access rather than a place where everything has to happen. That's really where I think it's going to get to. But before we get to where everybody appreciates that, there's going to be some fallout. So if you, for instance, are in a situation where your employer is saying or is starting to say, no, you've got to come back to the office. It's going to depend on a few things. So here are some things to consider. It's going to depend on the law in different countries. So I'm going to try and keep it broad as possible as to this may or may not apply to you. Um, But the first thing you want to think about is your contract of employment itself. So the terms and conditions of your contract. Go and have a look at that and see what it says about the location of where you should work or have to work. Yes. Some contracts actually have a more generalized position, which is working where it's needed or whatever. Some are very specific. You have to work in the office. Some provide a right of flexibility in the terms of the contract itself. So first step is look at the contract that you have and see whether there's any wording, any terms in there that you can use in order to push the, the, the point that, hey, you want to be able to work either entirely at home or flexibly. In the UK, there is a specific right to request flexible working. Mm. Uh, and actually, some countries have that um, as well. I'm not sure if it was a European directive, so the other European countries have it, but certainly the UK has a right to request. Now, that isn't a right that the company has to agree But when you request, there are duties on them to properly consider it. Uh, The government here is actually bringing in a um, kind of more almost stringent provisions where they even have to give you proper explanations as to why they will or why they won't. But check again if in your country, even if it's not in your contract, is there something in there that says you have the right to um, request flexible working? And if there is, make the request. Now, the way to do it, really build your case, right? So think about, okay, this is my job. These are the duties involved. This is what I can do and achieve from home. This is what happened when we actually did um, home working during lockdown and it didn't have any impact. So really think of it almost like a business case that you are going to make to the employer. And then the more kind of you put substance in it, either they'll agree because you make a good case or if they refuse it unreasonably, 
And that yeah. can lead to pot- other potential rights. Unreasonably. Um, They're talking legal speak now. Um, so, Kola, this is obviously, you know, we are so, I'm speaking for myself and I'm HR and I'm perfectly guilty of this. We are so guilty of not, you know, for not reading those documents, our contract, everything is there oh, yeah. somewhere in a drawer, in a file. Please take it out. It, It's, sorry, Kola, it's boring legal jargon, but you got to read it. Okay. Kola, you know, a lot of companies have this, you know, CEOs, and I think a lot of them have said it out loud. They have this impression that we're lazy, like employee employees are lazy. That's why they want to work from home. They don't want to do the commute. Now, it might be true about the commute and that our eyes are, you know, our eyes are opened up. But for a lot of people, the fear is real, right? You could have a, um, um, uh, what is the word? At-risk family member, and you feel like there's a third or fourth or fifth wave of COVID going around, you don't feel safe, even with a mask, right? So when you fear for your own physical safety, is there anything you can say or do which can still protect you? Yes. Uh, and again, that is a very real thing. I deal with it in cases I do in, in, in my kind of practice. So some things to think about. Uh, I'm speaking again UK-based, but this is something that's relatively common throughout the world. So your employer or any place that you go or especially place that you work has a duty of care towards you. And duty of care just basically means that they have to think to an extent about your safety. Yes. And they have to be reasonable about that. So there are various things that that can then mean it it affects with COVID. So if, for instance, you know or you can say, look, COVID is raging in my area or, you know, that kind of thing, or I have... Kola, um, they know that. They're in the same area, right? Yeah, yeah, but no, listen, I'm, trust me, right? Because what I'm talking about is the building blocks you have to put together. Yes, right? yeah. So one is COVID is raging or and, and or I have a loved one at home that is a dependent, that is going to be affected like an elderly parent, whatever it is, or somebody who's immunocompromised. Yes. You're putting that block together. Then you say, think. then you can look at, look, at work, yes. the system isn't safe. You don't test anyone. You don't have social distancing, whether you haven't bothered or it's impossible. Um, there's hand washing stuff isn't there. You know, yes. ventilation is poor. So you put that block together as well. Then you add... I can work from home. Here are all the duties that I have. Every single one of them can be achieved, or if it can't be, we can adjust things this way, or I'm willing to do one day a week or whatever it is. So you really put together the building blocks. And then what you say is, because you have a duty to protect my safety, but the situation means that you really can't protect my safety or the safety of my family effectively, um, then... I'm specifically requesting that I be allowed to work from home. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to work if your employee is unreasonable, but because there is a specific duty of care and a duty to protect health and safety, if they don't take certain acts to make sure that health and safety is protected, then they could be the ones who kind of get into trouble. Or if it's just doesn't matter what steps they take, it's impossible to then you have a bigger argument to say, I must be allowed to work from home. And if you don't allow me, then that can in itself create certain rights. You know, if you happen to resign or if they dismiss you because you won't come in, that you may have rights um, of unfair dismissal or rights to kind of sue them for their actions. 
which which let's face it a lot of us don't want to do um it yeah. can be such a career limiting move obviously yeah. companies know that and they also use that as a tactic to have their way i'm not saying i'm not generalizing i'm not saying all companies and all corporations are evil i've worked with some fantastic corporations and yet at the same time i've worked with some douchebag leaders as well okay <laughs> we all been there yeah. and it's all about the immediate next quarter profits um duty of care now when you are looking at your contract look for something that sounds like this this is what kala has said he's a barrister he specializes in employment law and this is something that um will definitely help you i have an interesting comment here from my friend lee in washington and she says mm-hmm. if employers and hiring managers didn't learn the lessons of covid then those who possess the highest quality of talent need to help a company succeed those employers hiring managers will lose for sure that's just so simple um yeah. and well, you actually know, you know you know on that point actually salim yeah. makes a good point in this way what i have seen and that's why i said that i think where this will land is the offices are hub yes is that a lot of places are actually now struggling to either recruit or retain their talent and they're realizing that it is the places that are being more flexible that are able to get more or better people. So, you know, kind of trying to give your employee the encouragement to say look, just be more flexible, be more reasonable is actually kind of one of the strongest um uh, weapons you have. Now, it's not going to help everyone because a lot of employees are like, hey, it doesn't matter, I'll just recruit somebody else. So, yeah, that point you made about you can't just say I'm resigning is real. But I think employees do have more power than they think. especially if they band together rather than it's just one on their own first first of all especially if you band together number 2 especially if you build a case so just like kola said build a case file think like a lawyer attention to detail structure logic go back to school and college and think about all those classes where you were looking at analytical skills right those are all building blocks to think like a lawyer it's not just lawyer build you know persuasion skills influential influencing skills all of those things are definitely helpful because let's face it kala a lot of this is on a case by case basis as well but it definitely helps unity is there's always strength in um, in unity and um, i was also going to add to what you said you know on the market side if this was 2020 it would be totally different 2021 the tables have turned and uh, people are not taking crap anymore so you do yep. have a lot more power but obviously don't do something you'll regret you know it's a small world uh, everybody knows everyone and lee i i hear you it is frustrating why is this even a thing like you want to put the genie back in the bottle it, it doesn't make any sense um so completely appreciate that um yeah now speaking of you know forcing people sometimes there's bullying involved sometimes there's harassment involved so i i know these are huge topics and these can themselves be hours of presentation um but you know like let's say someone is being forced to do something they don't want to do right and i have seen this um you're a lawyer you've seen this hundreds of times where there's some harassment going on in the office so that this person eventually gets so sick and tired that they leave and this is a slimy thing some people do to avoid paying severance now if someone is going through some sort of bullying or harassment or they have just been dismissed or they think it's coming 
right? Huge topic in itself. I want to hear your thoughts because this is so real right now. It is very real and I'm afraid it happens all the time at every level of the kind of yes. the business case. I've seen yeah. it with small employees, medium and massive ones. Yes. Um, so, and you know, it's like humans are humans at every level, right? So that yes. you're just going to have that. Um, so it's very real and it's, I mean, I know this is an illegal point, but I also want to say that I also recognize how corrosive to your soul it yeah. is when you experience that. I really have a and lot of empathy for it. We're talking about yeah. years of um, recovery from yeah. even like trauma type cases, which also cost the taxpayer and the company in healthcare benefits. So it's really like what goes around comes around. Yeah, no, it really does. It really does. So things to do or things to think about. Yeah. One of the like one simple tip that I always tell everyone, every one of my clients is if you are in that situation or feel you're in that situation, start keeping a private diary. Mm. Start keeping a private diary and make a note of everything that happens or that is done or that is said that is objectionable to you, is unreasonable, is part of that whole bullying. But make sure you write it understanding that at some stage that may be have to be presented to whether the court, if you go that far, or in part of your argument, you know, if you're negotiating a settlement, whatever it is. The reason I say do that is because when, like, if you think about it from the point of view of if you had to go to court, it doesn't mean I'm saying you want to go to court, but think from that point of view, if you had to go to court, what kind of evidence would you want to have available in order to prove your case. And if you turn up with court and it's, here's a contemporaneous note of what was happening at the time, what you'll be faced with is your strong position of here's what was happening at the time I wrote it down versus the manager or the person who's been bullying who hasn't been paying it, keeping any thoughts on it, just doing it without thinking and will be doing the, oh, I don't remember, might've done, might've not. Yeah. Who is the yeah. judge gonna believe? They're gonna believe yeah. you. So keep a That's note. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it becomes that he said, she said thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So keep a note of it. Um, if, I mean, I even go further and say, do things like send an email to a friend or something saying, oh, this has happened again. And then it becomes a contemporaneous record that you spoke up at the time. Um, okay. So do things like that. Keep WhatsApp messages, things like that. Just help to have the information at the time. Right. So okay. that's. This is harder to do because you're saying it's, you know, but still do it. You um, like you have a little dear diary moment at the end of the day where some stuff happened. Um, what is easier to do, I'm guessing, Kola, is also documenting what is already there. So some horrible thing on email or a WhatsApp message. You're taking screenshots everywhere because that is there and you're building keep filling up your case file yeah now be careful with email taking that because very often either in your contract or even if it's not in your contract you have a duty to keep your work stuff confidential yeah so and some some employers monitor emails and they'll look to see has anything been sent to a personal email so they'll look out for that so just watch out for that but yeah. yes, you want to try and keep as much documentary evidence of what's going on as possible. 
So okay, a spreadsheet. If you want to be organized like Lauren, a spreadsheet with copious amounts of notes. I think dates is also. Um, yeah. I didn't think of this, uh, Kola. I didn't think of that's a really good point. Let's say there's a there's a horrible email and you send it to your Gmail account because you want to keep proof. I mean, it's it's okay to do that, but you you might be breaking. You're saying you might be breaking laws. Yeah, well, I mean, you will be in that you're not supposed to take anything from your work to anywhere outside your work unless you need it for work. So some some companies like, yeah, use your personal, it doesn't matter. So okay. you really want, so you can keep the evidence, but just try and do it in a way that's not going to get you in trouble later, take a screenshot, whatever it is, or download yeah. it, yeah. and things like that. So then the next step is raise a grievance, okay? Mm. Um, and I'm saying that because I know there's sometimes when you feel the act of raising a grievance itself will be a problem. I'll I'll put that to one side for the moment. But really, it's raise a grievance. So use the process that is there for two reasons. One is it may actually help if it goes to a, another manager who is actually more reasonable. So that just may help resolve your situation. Um, but if it doesn't, it's another thing you're putting in place that shows, hey, I'm trying to address this. I'm trying to deal with this. I'm trying to put it on the record what's going on. And if you don't deal with it properly, I've done that part. And that's, again, putting another building block if you eventually have to do something about it beyond just complaining internally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So raise a grievance, make a formal complaint um, about about that. And then yeah. either Good, we don't. Because I've worked in many different countries and I know this concept of ombudsman is in every country. Like Every company in the world has that person who is supposed to be neutral um so you're saying with that person make it formal make it official yeah, okay. yeah. because don't okay. forget that the vast majority of bully bullies are cowards right they work in the shadows or in the nothing's going to happen to me or no i'm not going to be picked up so if it gets to the point where it's really affecting you then let it affect them. Actually raise it. Tell somebody else about it. Raise it, you know, reasonably. Have the notes that you've kept and say, hey, listen, these are some of the things that have happened. Um, now, there's no guarantee that is going to help because very often, you know, the person is part of management. So you're appealing to somebody else's management. They're kind of close ranks. But do raise that grievance because it's kind of an important stage. Now, just to deal with that small point I said about if you know that raising the grief in itself is going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, that can be real. Technically, yes. if you raise a grievance, especially about something like discrimination related, there are laws that protect you if you raise a grievance that says if they treat you badly just because you raised a grievance and that in itself can get them in trouble. Um, in fact, but, there will a little department, in fact, in even in your own company, right? And they themselves know that by um, bullying you or uh, or even um, sort of giving you these subtle, why do you want to do that? And particularly, I want to say this for um, Barbara, you're very right, bullies are cowards, particularly with women, right? So what you're saying is they sometimes blatantly will themselves think no one is going to find out yeah. and we're going to do so. Even if you think it's career suicide in your company, listen, the, um, um, you're not going back. That uh, bridge has been broken. Is that the word? Uh, don't burn bridges. The, the yeah. bridge has been broken anyway, right? And that doesn't mean you leave with complete damage in your wake and you leave complete like, catastrophe behind you. But 
it's also for your own peace of mind. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, you've got to take your own view, right? I'm not saying to everybody, go and resign and go and put resumes, but you've got to think about, do I just take this because I can yeah. handle it? Or should I do something about it? And if you want to do something about it, then these are some of the things that I want that you should be thinking about. Yes. Because um, as you said, great. ultimately, you may get to the point where you recognize, I mean, most of the times when clients come to me, it's because things have gotten to the stage where it's too much. Um, yeah. So I'm not saying that's where everybody is. But if you get to that stage, then what you want to do is to have things in place so that if you choose to do something about it, which might be actually suing them, it might be trying to negotiate a settlement, which is always a good thing to think about, right? Because companies don't want to spend their time in court either. Um, I just did a, a big case recently where we managed to get a good settlement, mainly because the company didn't want um, the, the impact hassle. of having been mm. sued for discrimination. Uh, and that was a discrimination case because they have contracts and stuff where if they have been sued or um, a judgment against them has been made for discrimination, they have to disclose it. And that can yeah. affect them getting contracts. It can affect the, the prices they get, all of that. So you do have some power. That is so good because um, I was going to say it's not even financial sometimes for companies. It comes down to losing reputation. Mm -hmm. um, and that impacts finance down the road. So the smart lawyers obviously know that. So if you're going to consult a lawyer and if you're going to go to someone like Kola, um, you're probably at your lowest moment, right? And and if you go to someone like him, he is going to ask you all these questions that we're talking about today. Yeah. Uh, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. So start documenting whatever you can do Day, if you're in the situation, we hear you, we see you, you're not alone. And let's say, Kala, so then what would be the next step? You you raise a formal grievance. It mm -hmm. is in the system. Um, then what can this person expect? So then the grievance plays out, right? They should investigate it, speak to you, speak to the person, maybe speak to other people involved, and then reach a decision as to what should happen. Now, that can be everything from they find in your favor and then they, you know, discipline the manager to they ignore it completely um, to something in between. It might have an option for appealing the decision if you're not happy with the, what decision they made initially. So use that as well. So but let's assume. Well, I mean, if it resolves everything, then kind of you're fine, you're good. Let's assume that it doesn't. Right. Um, so let's assume you go through all that and it doesn't resolve everything then you kind of are at the point where you then have to make a decision. Am I going to take it or am I not? So okay. when my clients come to me and they're in this situation, the very first question I actually ask them is, what do you actually want to do? Yes. Do you want to try and resolve this so that you, because you know you're definitely going to stay or do you want to resolve this because you pretty much know you're going to leave? So are you going to stay or are you going to go? If you're going to leave and you want to do something about it in terms of getting a settlement payment or actually taking them to court, then you really speak to a lawyer and say, OK, look, this is everything and this is what I want to do. And if you want to try and negotiate a settlement, then you actually write to them saying, "I let you resign, saying I've resigned and these are the reasons. And then you say, hey, listen, I've consulted a lawyer. I'm about to go to court. Um, these are the things I'm going to claim against you for unfair dismissal or discrimination. 
um, what do you say? And very often employers will then engage in a period of negotiation with you to try and basically avoid being taken to court. Yes, I, I can speak from experience as someone in HR. Every time I heard the L word, <laughs> lawyer, nobody likes to hear it. So if you are honest and you're saying, you know, you're not threatening. You're like, yes, I have consulted a lawyer. I do know my rights. People tend, to, it's so sad, Kola, that then they take you a little bit more seriously. And they're like, oh, yeah. okay, this is happening. Um, all right. So hopefully this helps. If you have questions, follow-up questions from this, please put them in the in the comments. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing them. Um, and I just saw a, a follow-up comment from... Um, from Risto about taking notes and uh, he's saying it's powerful not only for your schisms but also you know all your follow-up everything is there and you completely remove the subjectivity as well. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a question um, Kala it's a little bit unrelated but nevertheless since you're here you know, we're taking advantage of your time. Uh, I sure. see a question from Senyam who says that if we don't join the company after receiving the offer letter, I assume, Senyam, when you say receiving, you mean you've signed, okay, because they're not the same thing. Let's say the person signs and then you don't join. What could be the possible repercussions? Um, I mean, repercussions depends what you mean. So once you sign a contract, you're bound by the terms of that contract. But an employment contract will always either explicitly as in written down or kind of it's implied anyway have a right of termination. So if let's say, if the scenario is you've joined, as in you've signed saying, yes, I'm going to join, but then you literally the next day decide, actually, I'm not going to, or you get a better offer, um, then technically, legally, you have to give the notice that the contract requires, right? Yes. Which yes. is, could be a week, could be a month, could be three months. So technically, you have to give that. Most employers, if you say, actually, I'm not going to join, will just be like, hey, fine, be gone, they'll right? Give, they'll just uh, speak to them and say, yeah. Um, if the employer doesn't want, doesn't agree, you don't, they can't force you to work. But if you say, doesn't matter, I'm going anyway, technically you are in breach of contract, which technically means they could sue you for the breach but they won't generally, this is general general information, right? Not advice. They won't generally because in order to actually be able to sue you, they would have to prove that they have lost money because you breached the contract. Yeah. Maybe if you were about to, you know, do some specific work from them that they lost because you weren't there. But generally, it's nothing much is going to happen. Yeah. Actually, the more interesting way is the other way around. Yes. So you'll have it where you've signed a contract, but the employer then withdraws it. Um, not for a legitimate reason, like, oh, your references didn't pan out, but they just withdraw it. Then they actually in the same position where they are now in breach of contract. But for them, they would have to pay you out your notice. Yeah. So if no. your notice is three months and the next day they come in, then just come in and say, okay, fine, it's ended. Give me my three months. Right, right. It's, I think, financially more interesting the other way around, Senyam, yeah. but I do want to this that you should communicate this okay this stuff happens a lot more frequently than you realize as an HR person when somebody has disappeared after joining and I call them they're not reachable I'm gonna blacklist you you're gone you wasted so many hours and so many days of the company's time you don't show up you change your mind that's okay yeah. but don't disappear just let them yeah. know I think from a reputation point of view
Virginia says, my understanding is, she's in the US, that there is often a pre-employment period where you've signed. And during this time, the companies are conducting criminal ba- criminal background and drug tests. Virginia, I think, are primarily in the US. I don't see them that common in different parts of the world. What happens if that person turns down the role during this period? Uh, okay, yes. Yeah, so... You, uh, in a way that fits with the when I was saying they're checking references. So very often offers are made subject to reference, or in this case, subject to passing the criminal background check or subject to drug tests. I've seen much less. Yeah, that's got to be a, a US thing. Um, so so because it's made subject to that, it generally means that the contract isn't seen as one hundred percent binding on either side until those steps have been passed. So if you then pull out before that step has been passed, then it should just mean that you don't actually officially have a contract that's concluded because the the, the, the requirements that needed to be in place hadn't yet been in place. And until they're fully in place and the contract's concluded, nobody's bound by it. Um, but one small potential caveat is the, con- the agreement might have been written in a way that is just the employer can pull out if it doesn't pan out, but the employee is locked in. So it's a proper agreement subject to one thing that the employer might want to check. So that's a a small thing that may complicate it. But if that happens, then you're just back to the situation of, yeah, if you don't take it up, technically you're in breach of contract, but really what's the employer going to do? Just speak with them, let them know, and they'll have to work it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that a lot of things, a lot of clauses are always in the favor of the employer. So that's why you want to get help. You want to Google a lot of this stuff as much as you can um, in your favor Um, and definitely communicate. Um, Senyam, so going back to also what Erica says, I had a guest on my podcast, Suzanne Lucas, whose uh, moniker is the evil HR lady. And she talks about back when she declined a role and she declined it very nicely. They stayed in touch. There is a way to do it. You don't want to burn bridges like that. If you haven't even made like a great first impression, you haven't joined the company, uh, you never know. You know, it could actually be something positive down the road. The You know, life is long and it's there's no point making enemies. Um, yeah. Last thing I'm going to ask you, Kala, and then we're going to let you go. Um, we, uh, you know, there there is a thing about unfair dismissal, right? Mm-hmm. Now, are the process, is the process very similar where you feel... Um, that you know your contract was terminated uh, you don't really understand why there was some reason that was given that doesn't make sense and you know when the company decides they walk you out as if you've stolen some you know like lollipops or something you know you feel so horrible you feel like a thief in the night Mm. so if you go through that or you think you know or you've been through it already uh is there any way to appeal? Is it too late? How how should we go about it? So unfair dismissal, um, at least in the UK, there is a right against being unfairly dismissed, but it only kicks in after two years. What? So, yeah. So if you've been working there for less than two years... You don't have a right of protection against unfair dismissal, which basically means your employer could one year and 350, you know, four days before whatever, um, uh, you know, to the to the day, just say, you know what, ain't working out, bye. And you're gone immediately. 
And technically, unless they do it in a way that is discriminatory because of your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, your disability, then that applies. You can, you're protected from that or you have legal rights from that from day one. But if it's none of those things and it's just they didn't like you and they, they didn't even bother explaining to you why, within two years, you basically don't have a right to do anything about it. Um, there's a lot of kind of political discussion about that. It used to be one year, then they raise it back to two years. Two years means you should have been in the company for two years. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to wait two years after being dismissed. No, no, no. You, you should have been in the company for two years. Okay. Now, if, now, so I don't know, different countries have different rules. Yeah, I was going to say that Google the term unfair dismissal and then write the name of your country. Right. Yeah. You'll get an idea. It could be yeah. uh, maybe there is no time. Maybe they maybe you have that right from day one. Right. And maybe yeah. it's yeah. OK. Could be two years. So firstly, figure that out. And then let's say it, let's assume in our case, the answer is yes, you've been there. Uh, the minimum stipulated amount of time. Then what? Yeah. So unfair dismissal is based on the simple principle that your employer should be fair towards you. That's kind of the governing thing, really, of all employment law is be fair. So what that means is, okay, what is the reason they dismissed you? Was that a fair reason, right? If it's redundancy, hey, we're closing down the factory, you've got no more work. That's That's a fair reason, right? If it's, hey, you came to work today and your, your hair color was red when it used to be blonde, you know, unless it's a modeling job, right, where they wanted you to be a, a blonde model, that's generally not going to be a fair reason. So Yeah, but there's whimsical things going on. Like, I don't uh, like her tattoo anymore. I don't think yeah. she's prof- professional anymore. Um, so we are yeah. not going to yeah. work with her. And especially like with hair, there's a whole thing of black women's hair and black people's hair and, you know, that whole thing. So, yeah, so it's basically what's the reason for the dismissal and was it was the reason itself fair, right? That's one part of it. The second part of it is, even if the reason was fair, did you deal with it in a fair way? So let's say an employee is underperforming. So that's potentially a fair reason to dismiss somebody. But if they're underperforming, did you tell them they were underperforming? Did you outline where they're falling short and give them an opportunity to improve and to get better? And then if they didn't, did you invite them to a meeting where you laid it all out and gave them an opportunity to explain? Like if it's, hey, you know what? I actually just lost my child, right? That's why for the last six months I've been all over the place, right? If you never gave them the opportunity to explain that, that wouldn't be fair. So what's the reason for dismissal? Is it fair? And then the process they use to make the decision, is that fair? Do they give you a right to appeal? You know, do they give you all the information you need so you can actually respond properly? So that's really kind yeah. of what you're thinking about with unfair dismissal is have they behaved fairly in all the circumstances? Right. And if they haven't. And if they haven't, then you're back to the what do you want to do about it? Right. And it's really it's kind of binary. Right. It's do you want to do something about it and actually take them to court or try and negotiate a settlement? Or do you want to just move on? And accept that, hey, it wasn't right, but I've got another job. I'm strong enough. I can deal with it. You know, really, it's kind of a, a decision. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you do go down the legal route, um, I don't really think it matters which country you're in. It, it's going to be dragged for. Yeah. While. Now, one of the things and I, I know it was one of the people mentioned it about um, restricting competition. 
or what's yeah, like here yeah. called either restrictive let's, covenant let's or restrictive about, yeah let's talk about that um if you can share your thoughts on non compete and reviewing and and things like that because this is a very hot topic yeah so melissa thinks so yeah mm-hmm. so it varies state to state and country to country so that's right so i'll talk about it from a uk perspective but i think this is the general way it's it's applied because sometimes i have to look at us law as well um for yes. complicated cases the basic rule, and it's really important that employees know this so that they actually get less scared about it. The basic rule with uh, competition clauses, so we'll call them restrictive covenants, which basically say you can't do this for a yes. period of time after your employment has ended. You can't yes. work for a competitor. You can't work in this area. You can't do this thing. The basic rule is that all forms of restrictive covenant are unlawful unless yep unless they are proven to be all that is needed to protect something that an employer is legitimately allowed to protect so every one of those clauses is void and does not have any application even if signed even if it's signed on both sides yep even if it's signed even if you had a lawyer advising you the standing position but remember right it's not completely right there. the standing position is they are all void unless the employer can show they needed that clause in order to protect what is called a legitimate business interest so something that you would look at and say you know i can understand why you would need that and yeah that's probably a reasonable cause to protect that. Okay, so that's good to know. The burden of proof falls on the employer as to why yes. this was there. And I I have seen this actually Kola, I feel like it was legitimate because I worked in a couple of companies where the research and development wing was very specific um in food yeah. ingredients or in mining and chemicals. So it was proprietary and if the person goes they take the formula with them, yeah, right? Exactly. So, so that's classic. Yeah. On paper, let's say on paper the burden of proof is on the employer, and the employer has been able to demonstrate why this non-compete, restrictive covenant, uh, not a competition clause, whatever you want to call it, in all the different countries, it comes down to the same thing where they say you can't do something for a certain number of months or years. Let's yeah. say it's legit. For yeah, some although reason. before before you give them, because I'm always hard on employers, even though I uh, represent as well. Before you give them legit, one thing I want to make clear. So when I say to protect a legitimate business interest, right? So we think about, hey, you work for KFC and you steal their formula, right? Yeah, they're legitimately entitled to protect that, but they are not le- legitimately entitled to just stop competition. So you can't do it just because you don't want somebody to compete with with you, right? So a previous employee who's branching out on their own and you say, oh, we don't want them to compete. So you just stop that. You're not a, that is not considered a legitimate business interest. A legitimate business interest is, well, I have to stop you competing because if you don't, if I don't, you're going to use my secret formula or you're going to use the customers that we've spent years building up and you're just going to steal all of them. And so that's why, but it's the customers that they're protecting or it's the trade secrets that are protecting. It's not just, I don't want to have anybody competing with me. Okay. Um, So you need to know what it looks like on paper, what it looks like in reality, but it looks like that mostly, most of the time it's in your favor. And obviously apply your own common sense, apply your sense of reason before you decide to break something. 
Um, yeah. I understand. So our friend Amit has come back to us. So he's explaining gratuity. And this is what I was thinking because it's in French. It's on CNT. It's the seniority period, right? So employees are entitled to get gratuity upon completion of five years. Uh, and the employer has to pay if the employee leaves after five years. Generally, it's not part of your, you know, like your gross um, annual pay okay. or cost to company. But in this case, they have combined it. So they're not... That's not okay. the normal um, Do you have something similar in the UK where you've seen that something is separate, but it's combined, and I'm guessing maybe they've done it from a cost-saving point of view? Yeah, I mean, so that there are a lot of terms, especially things like shares, for instance, here, where you'll get allocation of shares if you stay beyond a certain period. Yes. Um, yes. or bonus if you you know beyond a certain period. The truth is the answer is generally the terms of the contract that you signed. Yes. So, they, so you, you know, they, except for certain terms that, you know, they are not legal to sign, you know, but generally it's the contract that you sign that governs what will happen. So if at the time you signed a contract that says um, it's five years, but it's going to be part of the CTC, then that's part of it. If the yes. contract doesn't say that, then it's not. And then you have an argument to say, hey, listen, you're folding this in where it shouldn't be give me the actual gratuity without folding it in, give me gross no. rather than net or whatever it is. Um, I'm not entirely sure of exactly what he means. Yeah, but I'm going to go, look back, at the contract. go back and look at your your, your uh, contract, your employment contract, and there will be a clause on gratuity. Just see what it says on how is it treated, right? Um, that should um, definitely help you. And non-compete is such a hot topic, right? Um so many times we yeah. think that the non-compete is holding us back. It needs, you know, it's definitely worth check out, you know, find a lawyer friend. It doesn't have, you don't have to pay someone like hundreds or thousands of dollars or euros or yeah. pounds, but have someone look at it who has an, a keen eagle, eye, legal eye, yeah. eagle eye. <laughs> and yeah, no, please, please do actually, because so many of them are so badly written. So I actually lecture on this stuff because I'm a bit of a geek about it. So, ah. And the number of clauses, non-compete clauses, the re they are put in basically so that employers can essentially scare enough employees into not doing it. That's basically what it is. So they are often written very broadly. It's like, you can't work in any field related to what we do or might do for two years. You know, it's like wide stuff. And immediately it's too wide to protect what they consider a legitimate business interest. Then the whole thing goes void, right? You know, they're little technicalities, but just generally, if it's too wide, of course, we just say it's too wide. That's out. The whole thing is out. Or if they've breached your contract before that, then the breach negates the effect of the, um, the the clause. So if they've breached your contract, that negates it. So you really want to think about, okay, yes, they're trying to stop me doing this with this person, but actually is the clause badly written? Is it too wide? Are there different elements of it that yep. um, I can challenge to say, actually, I shouldn't be bound by this at all? So definitely, yes. as Tina, I think, says, um, get a yes. lawyer to um, have a look. No, that's a great point, because uh, companies can sometimes just be greedy, good old-fashioned greed, yeah. and don't want you to do. And that doesn't affect them so much. It affects you and your career, seriously yeah. affects your career. Especially so, many of the clauses are actually written at the time you join. They don't update them for, yes. like, let's say you've been there for six years. 
Yes. They don't update them. So the clauses that are relevant when you were starting are often very different to what would be relevant six years later. But the court will look at what it was at the time that you started. They won't say, oh, you can apply it all the way. So there are a lot of different technicalities to speak to a lawyer about. Yes. Not that I'm Perfect. trying to work, right? <laughs> Perfect. No, I, it's so good to know that you lecture on this. So, Professor Shanaike, ladies and gentlemen, you hear, you heard it here first. <laughs> Thank you so much. I see a question here. Jaita, I'm not sure. We will do our best to answer you. So in India, the offer letter and the signing of the offer, which is not the official contract, but is considered as the employment contract. Um, so Jaita, that's not just in India. It's in many countries. Uh, but in some countries, there is a separate employment contract, like, for example, in France, right? The official one with all the clauses, etc. Um, why is that? Which countries require this? So the, the answer, which is a little bit geeky, I'll say, is that the contract that's written is technically not the actual contract agreement. The agreement is the meeting of the mind. So it's kind of like in a near thing. What the contract does is it's evidence of what they believe everybody has agreed, Right. So that's why everybody looks to the contract. And the reason that's relevant is it means that, for instance, if you have just the offer letter and acceptance letter, right? So they'll often write to you and say, we'd like to offer you a job. It will be this, this is the job title. This is the pay. Do you accept or not? And you'll write back saying, I accept. Technically, then you now have an agreement that yes. they're going to employ you on this salary for this role, Right. What then happens is afterwards, you'll then get the actual contract with all the detailed terms. Are you saying and that's you, a formality? Well, so what it is, is it's clarifying the agreement that you have had, right? Yeah. So it's basically saying, we agree and we kind of know what the terms are, but what we're going to do is we're going to specify them here. So you actually have an agreement from the minute you've signed the offer letter, right? But... The detail of it, you can then agree later, which is, okay, now I'm going to get 26 days holiday rather than 25. Correct. So if you never signed that second letter or the second kind of terms and agreement, you still have that original agreement. And then like the way the courts would do it is they would just say, okay, what is the reasonable terms that they should have agreed if they were both being reasonable? So, you know, so it's a little bit kind of technical, but essentially you have an agreement the minute you accept the offer, but it can be enhanced or clarified by the later terms and conditions. Right. And, and Jaita, it's worth looking at the law in your own country. Um, I, I remember studying employment law um, back in whatever 10 years ago when I was heading HR for a few countries here in Europe, for example, in the Netherlands. At that point, I don't know if it's still the case, a verbal yes was considered this official contract it didn't have to be written yeah. although in practice it's not in practice everybody wants to protect their backside so obviously they'll you know they'll have it in yeah. writing um i'm gonna wrap up now because we've taken up so much of your time so salim you're asking about getting a job as a contractor and trying to search outside for a permanent position is it fair so i'm gonna address this quickly uh, call up because it's uh, i'm trying to be fair on your time is it fair the question is what is fair right and and salim go and see your contract as a contractor in terms of your notice period that'll give you an idea and um you know as far as possible we should do our best to honor terms and conditions but if we can't do it we can't do it um yeah. anyway Kola, so uh, you know someone who's listening today 
I would love you to give a message before we walk away with so much stuff going on. And, you know, maybe there's people who can't afford um, an employment lawyer. They've listened to our conversation and there's still a lot of anxiety, you know, um, forcing people back, et cetera, et cetera. What is that one message you'd like everyone to walk away with? If you are an employer, be fair. Right. Just you know, put the technicalities aside. Be fair with people. It's actually a best business practice anyway. You'll get far more out of people, far better responses, far better commitment if employees feel this is a fair place to work. And employees are actually quite fair themselves when they think about fairness. It's like, hey, I know a business has obligations, responsibilities, so I'm cool with that. But here are my particular um, issues. Then if you are an employee it's you have more power than you think. It may look like the employer has all the power or the manager does, but you have far more than you think. So don't operate from fear. Yes. Operate from belief that you are worthwhile, that you are good at your job and that you are just trying to establish your life on the right footing because you should be treated fairly too. That's a both wonderful points. Come from a place of fairness. As far as possible, when you do that, the world tends to reciprocate as well. Be reasonable, be fair. Second, don't come. So fair and fear. Second is don't come from a place of fear. You are stronger than you think, not just in a inspirational woo-woo type of way, but in a real sort of in terms of your rights. Know them a little bit. Read these terms a little bit. And I highly recommend that you rewatch. You know, watch us, watch us on the replay. And if you're watching us on the replay, put a hashtag replay in the comments so we know. And you know, we'll do our best to help with any other questions here in the chat. So, um, Kolarelli Shunaike's name is right here. Follow him. I don't think there are many callers in on LinkedIn, right? Well, there are a lot of callers, but there's very. I'm not sure I've seen another caller really, which is kind of like caller is the shortened form that was the first part that you a lot of different Nigerian names use, but Relay is like more unique. Relay is more unique. Ah, then you're, you are unique. So follow Kuala Relish Nike on LinkedIn. Follow his, because when you are there, you'll find, you know, his website, his podcast, the Great Speech Podcast, where it's all about powerful public speaking uh, in a way that persuades and influences um, people. And Kuala, this has been so helpful. You're wonderful. you chose to spend a portion of your day today by allowing me in your ears and brain that is something i do not take for granted thank you and listen if you'd like to get social tag me on linkedin or instagram what about today's episode really stayed with you i'd love to know you know these episodes are born out of a lot of hard work and a lot of love so if you leave a rating on apple podcasts or spotify it really helps to reach even more people and this means much more than you know and share this with a friend who you think would enjoy this episode you know these little things we do sometimes can have a big impact so thank you so much for listening i appreciate you until next time bye for now